Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're very grateful for each other. We're grateful for the fellowship we have, the love of the brethren, the joy of being together. We'd ask that we would think on the things that you have put before us, revisit them. In your son's name, amen. We're in, as you can tell, Psalm 66. Now this is a little thing, a little to demonstrate the power of tradition. I'm not a, not a big fan of tradition. Well, I like tradition, just not in the church. Uh, but every time we have a psalm, it goes into that font called Frankenstein. Okay? Every time. I can't help myself. Every time I do lay out the psalm, I have to make the title in that. Not because it's Frankenstein, but it's a nice, it's a nice medieval font. There goes one out to purgatory. Now it's one of those psalms that you can read and go over it kind of, oh this sure sounds psalmy. You know how you get expectations of what psalms sound like. Occasionally there'll be one that's got a weird topic, but this is this is about praising God, and you're just going to read through it like my Bible reading for the day. I read Psalm 66. Check. But it's actually about something. To the choir master, a song, a psalm. Make a joyful noise to God, all the earth. Well, sounds very familiar, right? It's about Psalm 100. This is Psalm 66. Make a joyful noise to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Give to him glorious praise. Say to God, how terrible are thy deeds. So great is thy power that thy enemies cringe before thee. All the earth worships thee. They sing praises to thee. Sing praises to thy name. Selah. There's a... I guess it's a bit more of an indicative. It describes the situation. Has some imperatives in there. Sing to the glory of his name. Give him glorious praise. And then it describes what the situation is that you are praising. It indicates where God is. His deeds are terrible. The world fears one way or another in front of him. Now, one of the things that that if you've been a Christian long enough, you realize that they go through um, uh, trends, trends of, well, worship was a, is a, it's still going on. I, I, I almost hate to say it, but that worship of God as a trend. And everybody's talking about their worship, or they call the, 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 the four-piece band a worship team. Like, worship teams can be made. And for a while it was praise. For a while it was the fatherhood of God. At every prayer you heard, somebody was saying father every third word. We, we get that way. We get that way and we, we're really not connecting with Christianity as it is felt, lived, because you have been called out of darkness into his marvelous light, but because you're surrounded by a culture called Christian culture that has trends going through it, just like teenagers have trends going through it, through that. It's talking about praising God. 
It's spinning a certain way in that it's not praise him for the bunnies and praise him for the daffodils, which is praiseworthy. How terrible are thy deeds. So great is thy power, thy enemies cringe before thee. So you, first you're going to have to accept in this admonition to praise that God is complete as an agent. He is not merely the God you would like to have on your dashboard because you want to pray to the gentle Jesus, meek and mild. You like that, or like, you like the peace-loving aspects of the teachings of Christ, or, you, or tragically, there are some people who like the, uh, the, the, the power-oriented aspects of God. You've got to have it all. You've got to praise it all. Now, when we encourage you to praise, and you say, as it says on the left-hand side, for what? It lets you know that all the earth worships him. Now, I'm not too sure he is talking about all the nations. Might be. But one of the other themes that you see in Psalms, and I have the quote here on the left-hand side, which is titled, The Teleological Argument. Now, I warn you against using that word, but it's the name of the argument. And it goes to Psalm 19, which is quoted in Romans 10. The heavens are telling the glory of God, and the firmament declares his handiwork. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night declares knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard, yet their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. It is a declaration of what's called the teleological argument. The creation, you walk outside, you see it, and without words, it's declaring something. It's declaring the power of God. Now, the problem that I want to say is, or see, it's not merely that there are agnostics and atheists running around who go, no, it's not. You know, some evolutionist who says, no, there was no creator. They're going to get their lunch at by someone philosophically or, or scientifically at some point. There's no, no need to chase them down Sunday morning just because they're on the opposite team. I worry about us calling it the teleological argument. It's an issue of naming. The power of it is sound one. It's more complimentary to me for using the word teleological. That sounds smart. And somebody goes, what do you mean, Pastor? Well, it means the argument from design, you complete idiot. That makes me look good, right? So you use the word teleological. Already, you're probably a little, you know, full of yourself. But it's also a way to affirm and set aside what you just said. I know countless Christians who argue one of their most basic apologetic for the faith is arguing by design, by the nature of creation. It's the kind of apologetics they can understand. They will listen to scientific, Christian scientific uh, claims, uh, intelligent design or whatever else it may be. Very valuable, very good. It becomes an argument, not praise. It becomes more about me proving to someone who doesn't see the Lord's handiwork 
that I, the Christian, also don't see God's handiwork because I'm not redounding with praise. I'm with, redounding with an argument. I am I'm trying to show you that the, the flagellum on a bacteria can't do this unless he's... he's what is it called? The uh, irreducible complexity. Whatever the form of the argument. It's a good argument. It's a powerful argument. It's a biblical argument. There's a verse for it. But we're, we don't seem to be stepping in, in through a world where terrible are his deeds, where the world recognizes the power of God. It's right for us to say that as the unbelieving world uh, disallows creation, special creation by an omnipotent, one of the main aspects of religious worship is taken from them. The explanation of the world that they stand in. If religion is a subset, the world and its existence has its own reason for being. You and your little God may have a small arena of benefit, but for the Christian who accepts the eternal God, terrible in his might, where the whole earth recognizes what he has done, that's a different kind of religion. And since those two things are different, I want to warn us against not seeing it as Christians, even while in the midst of the argument, making the apology for God. In the midst of the teleological argument, the argument from design. You would think that halfway through the argument, words of a hymn would start coming to mind and you'd start singing like you were speaking in tongues or something, because you could not you could not restrain the declaration of God's greatness. I'm trying to prove it to a non-believer. You recognize it as a believer. Come and see what God has done. He is terrible in his deeds among men. He turned the seas into dry land. Men passed through the river on foot. There did we rejoice in him who rules by his might forever. Those eyes keep watch on the nations. Whose eyes keep watch on the nations? Let not the rebellious exalt themselves. Selah. Something seems to make piety out of recognition of the things of God. When it says, come and see. Take a look at this. Will you take a look at this? Are you really actually comprehending? Ever shown someone a, a video clip uh, on YouTube? Of, I was watching, some, something came up in my feed yesterday of some Ukrainian-Russian gymnast with a ball doing her routine at some competition. And you stood there transfixed. You could not believe that the human body could move like that. All, you know, you, you see a basketball player spinning a basketball. She spun the ball on her finger and did a complete flip, still spinning the ball on her finger all the way through the flip. That's just half of it. And I, you sort of, sort of think you've seen things on Facebook that you could not imagine. And you want to show your friends. And so you look it up on your phone. Look at this. And you show them the most amazing thing and they just go, oh, that's interesting. 
We don't want to be the kind of Christian who looks at what God has done in the world, where he rules by his might forever. The recognition of of that it is there, that the very act of photosynthesis is going on in that tree next to you, If you really understood the power it takes to both build and run the universe and the absolute silly, and someone says, accidental, just to stay away from a God who is terrible in his deeds. We don't want to become like that and merely take that up the, the, the without words aspect of the creation. We find ourselves without words. And we can speak. The rocks can't speak. The trees can't speak. The stars, well, sometimes they speak, but mountains don't speak. They declare something. It's understandable they don't speak, but we pick that up and don't speak of the things of God. When you come and see, you have this uh, option that, that we're waging war on. You know that my basic view of sin is that um, self-rule over God's rule. I mean, it's, that's what it comes down to. You've decided you're in charge of some things that you would like to do because you enjoy them. God said, no, I don't think so. And you said, yes, I do think so because I really enjoy them, God. You don't completely understand how much. Obviously, I love me more than you love me, so I'm going to do them. That's the basic thing of sin. It's the basic thing here, too. When we remove the exaltation and the praise of God for all that he has done, we start to make uh, allowances for the world denying God presence, keeping our religion kind of personal and not really about the tree or about the mountains, It's part of the process of man exalting himself. The rebellious exalt themselves. Because if you don't see the magic around you, you're going to walk through the land like you're lords of the earth. I mean, you're you're not. I remember I was out on a walk years ago with Michael Collender, and we were thinking about sidewalks. Because, you know, well, sidewalks. And roads, asphalt roads. Have you noticed how civilized man can take a globe the size of this and run a thin band of concrete along a portion of it and then run a longer, a little bit wider band of asphalt further, maybe thousands of miles further? We think that's like that strapping stuff that holds a package together. Very thin little claim. You have to have a high-powered camera in space to see the dang road. And give it ten years without maintenance, it's going to be grass. But we think so well of ourselves, like we walk through the earth, earth, the owners, the terrible makers. We fear our governments and our powers and our bombs, like it was something to fear. 
You know, part of the Christian worry about the state of the nation, which is in pretty bad shape, is because we have not decided to praise God for his terrible deeds. Nobody's going to get away with anything. God is going to judge the earth. That's why all the people who think they're somebody, like the, the guys in the gym who are so bulked up that they really can't lift anything, but they look like something. We don't want to be a teenage girl being impressed by that. God is something far more. Our only choice when we don't have God praised, when we do not speak, not in a teleological sense, not in a claim against an agnostic or an atheist, but a claim about it. God is great. I was thinking of the passage that resonates with it in Colossians. When it declares the greatness of Christ in the creation, he's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for in him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. You are not only recognizing a God, your primary doctrine of your faith and your religion is about the the ministry that God had to that broken world. And we don't talk about it. We only feel safe to talk about it if the, if the atheist brings it up and says, well, uh, don't you believe in evolution? You say, well, let me bring up the teleological argument for the existence of God. We don't walk around with each other praising God. And saying the word praise is not praise, by the way. Declaring what he has done, where the psalmist here says, he turned the sea into dry land. Men passed through the river on foot. There's a slight reference to the Red Sea crossing and the Jordan crossing. One's a sea, one's a river. That's kind of remarkable. still remarkable today. I don't know if you've ever, again, because we think we are lords of the earth. And uh, Have you ever seen the Mississippi? Been to the Mississippi? Okay, I've been to the Mississippi. You get to the uh, Mississippi, and, and of course the road takes you to the Mississippi, and of course at the road... And there's a bridge, and it drives you over the Mississippi. Now imagine yourself to be Lewis and Clark. It's a path that leads you to the Mississippi, and then there's nothing but water. It's amazing how hard it is to get across a river. How hard it is once you have the power and the engineering to build that dang bridge across that kind of river. We're, we're so pleased with ourselves, we don't even look outside and remark, you know, God, made, God made man great too, the fact that we could build a bridge like that, but we are not the lords of the earth. We cannot forget God when we get to that bridge, across that mountain range. Just 150 years ago, 
they had to whip an ox to drag you in a cart over the Bitterroot Rain. No wonder people stopped in unthinkable places because I don't want to go any further. You know, Leslie grew up in El Centro, California, which is hell on earth. But hell on earth. I mean, people talking, oh, it's so hot in Boise right now. It's 100, 125. Day after day. At the sign is going into town, it says 311 clear days a year. That's the sign. It's not gateway to anything, but, you know, hell. Um, it's 311 clear days a year. But people stopped there in the 1800s and built a town before air conditioning when women were modest. Okay? Just think of that, ladies. No sundresses. No wife beaters, whatever it is you, you know, call that stuff. You know why? Because you can look from El Centro down the road the direction you were going. The desert takes you out to a certain spot and then there's a mountain range. The Lagunas. And you say, I will stay here. Because it's dragging your sorry rear end over a big pile of rock. We uh, are constantly forgetting his might, his terribleness. Now, when we don't speak of his greatness, part of it is that we get caught up in that self-exaltation. We, get, we make a little world in which everything man has done, you know, you sit there, I, I don't have a smartphone, I have something that kind of looks like a smartphone, it's flat and thin, I can look at it like I, it is one, it isn't. But people stand around staring at this like it, as if every aspect of their world goes through man's greatness, every petition, every prayer. Oh, do you want to know what the temperature's going to be tomorrow? Excuse me a moment. I'm going to pray to my God. We have a little world, a little access, a little kingdom where everything is right, where everyone worships the right God, which is man, the rebellious, exalting himself. Now, why do we not, as Christians, recognize? Oh, part of it, you might be persecution. We don't want to be laughed at. We don't want to be thought too religious. Bless our God, O peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard, who has kept us among the living and has not let our feet slip. Who has kept us among the living? You ever wake up in the morning and realize God let you live till morning? Thank you. Might be in order. Remember the story of the rich fool in the book of Luke? He was going to build bigger barns. He had plans for tomorrow. And the Lord said in the night, You fool. This night your soul will be required of you. And there will, where will your barns be. What your plans are? What's your little world of worshiping the achievement of man? You might, you're young. Some of you are young. Some of us are not, but some of you are young. You got plans. You say, well, I don't really quite know what they are, but I want them, I want the space to have them. I would like to have an empty life ahead of me, so even if I can't figure stuff out right away, I want to be making plans and achieving stuff. And enough Disney films come through your life about 
what are the, what's some of the slogans? Believe in yourself because you're a complete tool. Believe in yourself because you're God of your life. Believe in yourself. That's more important than anything. He kept you among the living. He could call in your chit at any point. Has not let our feet slip. Now part of the reason, as I noticed uh, in a lot of Christian conversations, that then next to this psalm, because we're not practiced in thinking about God the way the creation and the revelation of God has asked us to think, we get ourselves into troubles because we enter God's praise on the philosophical end of things as an argument. And any smart non-believer, any smart atheist, is going to come back and say, well, what about the kid with pancreatic cancer? And we're, and we're suddenly befuddled. Sometimes not just befuddled in the argument, what if it's your kid? Your friend's child. All of a sudden, since we have no category for the troubles in the world, we wanted to go back there and claim the bunnies and the constellations and the creation of the universe and all those things for God. The non-believer goes over here and looks at plague in Calcutta and goes, you're God too? We don't have a category for the brokenness. For thou, O God, hast tested us. Thou hast tried us as silver is tried. Thou didst bring us into the net. Thou didst lay affliction on our loins. Thou didst let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water. Do you have a category? Are you a little embarrassed about praising God on one hand because you don't want to account for bad stuff happening? The psalmist has no problem. He just walks through it. He just goes, yeah, God has done terrible things in the earth. And in some cases, we were the object of the terrible things. Sometimes the calamity was deserved, sometimes not. That's just the nature of stuff. But it's God who has made nature. But the psalmist still believes, yet thou hast brought us forth to a spacious place. You ever have a hard day? I, I, maybe. I'm trying to think if yesterday was a hard day. I had to paint the shed floor. So I sweat. I'm, I'm, I'm big. I'm a big boy. So crawling around on a floor painting, you know, sweat dripping off my face onto the floor. You have to bathe in the morning and afterwards. But there are days you've had that are even worse than that. They're not just hard work where you feel productive, uh, miserable in how people have treated you, the circumstances that have gone wrong in your life, and you slip between the sheets of your bed and you lie down. Does it ever just overwhelm you how thankful you should be for that bed? That spacious place. And it's not you and the wife in a twin bed. Yea, verily, not even a full size, but a queen. Because only on vacations do you get to sleep in king beds. Spacious places exist. 
as well as difficult afflictions were men riding roughshod over your head. Do you have a cat? Are you willing to look at that? Now, I'm not giving you the answer here. I'm just, uh, I'm just telling you what happens. And I'm telling you mostly so that, that you might recognize some of your fears about speaking of your God. Because you're not ready. You did not study to make ready for answering what's called the theodicy problem. And that's not to, you know, don't... It's not another word for fancy, fancy talk for the, the argument about God's justice. Pick it up. It is your God. You need to find out who this, what this world functions like under your God, what he has done to it, and what has man done to it. When somebody blames God for something that's obviously the wickedness of man, well, hold it, hold it, yeah, I'm happy to get into the blame game. Let's blame the right person. You don't blame God for Hitler. You blame Hitler for Hitler. But you have to be ready to do that. Because you're trying to, you're trying to declare, you're trying for your own godliness so that you don't exalt yourself like the rebellious. You need to have a God in place who you declare to be God. And not just by saying the creed over but like with the wealth of psalms or the, with the wealth of hymns that you're saying, I was thinking about this topic as we sang the hymns, some wonderful things declared in those hymns. We have to be ready to declare it in more than just our songs. It gets personal here in verse 13. I will come into thy house with burnt offerings. I will pay thee my vows, that which my lips uttered and my mouth promised when I was in trouble. Ever do that? Promise much more religion to get through a difficult time. Child is sick. Lord, I'm going to be in church every Sunday. Make some promise. I'm going to really pray now. I'm going to read my Bible every day, Jesus. I want you to know that I'm willing to say things that I'm not going to do in order to trick you because my child's illness is so important to me that a fake promise about Bible reading since I know you're stupid as a god you'll fall for this right no you make promises to the living God who destroys nations can kill you in the night made the universe by his word of power and you're going to trick him with this little rabbit's foot of I'm going to say something religious. I'm not sure if I'm going to do it. I'm going to say something religious. We promise things in trouble. The psalmist says, I'm going to pay what I promised. I will come into thy house with burnt offerings. This is, people wonder how to do, sometimes you, you, you analyze a problem in church. Uh, some people were asking me the other week, a couple weeks ago, uh, I forget what the, the message was on, but they said, you told us what the problem was, now you need to tell us how to deal with it. I said, well, that's a good, that's, that's pious. They want to know how to deal with it. You know, really knowing what the problem is, deals with it. Because wouldn't it be nice to have some church guy tell you, well, that first you have to read your Bible three times a day for at least 15 minutes. Okay, I'll check that off. 
Then you have to say a prayer. And then you have to, whatever it is, whatever the method. Oh, wouldn't it be nice to have one? Seeing this about God, knowing this, not propositionally, not apologetically, not for the argument's sake that it shows how your religion is more right than somebody else's, but because this is what's true. This is what the air you breathe. This is what you walk out into every time you leave your man temple. You know, things that buildings we build, we build as temples to our own greatness. But we walk out, we walk out into God's universe. And there it is. Now, do I believe? What do I believe? What would I do if I believed? I would fall to my knees and I would thank it. I would sing for his greatness. Did you ever just want to sing? Just because you were in love with some girl in high school? I just want to sing. It's not romance we're talking about. We're talking about the triumph of meeting and knowing and seeing the living God. You will pay your vows. You ever read that story about Jephthah in the book of Judges, I mean? Christians have a lot of trouble with that because he sacrifices his daughter because he vowed. And his daughter says, yeah, you better do it because you vowed. And the scripture says, it is better that you not vow than vow and not pay. And we have a problem with it. We'd rather have Jephthah go, oh, made a mistake, bad vow, oops, sorry. Everything is about exalting you and what you want. If you start looking at the world about what God has done, if you come to believe that God has done it, you will pay what you vow. It's not just a matter of me saying, oh, you vowed something and I know you were thinking a little rashly, but you better pay up, you know, because that's kind of the rules. I know perfectly well that if you come to the right place about your view of God, you pay what you vowed. You vowed your life to him when you became a Christian. You fell to your knees and you said, my Lord and my God. You know what the word Lord means? In charge. Who's in charge here? Jesus Christ. Who's not in charge? You. That's the nature of the decision. Don't want that? Don't make the decision. Don't mess with God where you pretend because you were at camp or you went to a cool Christian concert that you were going to... Not that there can be a cool Christian concert. We know that. But uh, just for the sake. Get all religious for a moment. Promise something. People are always rededicating their lives. You better... The problem is you don't know with whom you're dealing. We need to know. I will offer thee burnt offerings of fatlings with the smoke of the sacrifice of rams. I will make an offering of bulls and goats. Selah. Come and hear all you who fear God and I will tell you what he has done for me. We don't, because we, when we don't praise God and see him as praiseworthy, 
a topic that crosses our mind because we stand in a world completely created by his will. That's one of the problems. Our fears of difficult questions and we don't, we're not quite, we're ready, if we're ready to praise, we're not ready to defend our God. We didn't actually think the being we spoke to when we made promises was that important, so we broke them when we promised. And when you don't, here's the problem, you remember Romans 1 that we often go to in talking to an atheist or a, a, a secularist of some sort? Because they did not, although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give him thanks. Therefore, God gave them up to the futility of their mind. That's happening to Christians. If you don't honor God or give him thanks, why are the rules different for you? You can go skipping to work with your fat little hands wrapped around your lunch bag and I'll have a good life because I picked the right team. No, you honor your God, you give him thanks, or your thinking is going to collapse. We made promises when we needed him. We didn't honor him or thank him when we didn't perceive him as needed. When things are going well, when things are going well, no problems, no bad grades for the kids, nothing untoward, nobody sick that you know about or care within three removals. You ever just fall to your knees and thank your God? Fall to your knees and honor your God. Do you remember what God has done for you? I, I can remember, I think I may have told you this before, but once, this is, I'm going to, a slightly involved story, it involves Anne's wine tasting. A few years back, out in her yard under the trees, very nice. Someone had brought a McManus Petite Syrah. I don't know who it was. First sip, I said to myself and to my wife, tastes like garage floor. That wine later won the uh, wine tasting. And I voted for it. But that's beside the point. The reason it tasted like garage floor And the reason I thought that is because I had slept on a garage floor in the Laguna Mountains during a thunderstorm, the freeway was closed and all the motorcyclists were trapped in a shell station in Hakumba and we're all sleeping on the floor of the garage and I, with no padding, just face on the concrete and I got a whole evening's worth of realizing what garage floors smelled like. You said, what, where's this going? I got lost at Anne's backyard. The reason is, I know what it's like not to sleep in a bed. And I can remember vividly not sleeping in that bed under some natural disaster. And I can, I can pull the blankets over me and go, thank you, Lord Jesus, every, every night. Things that surround you, as simple as that is, as simple as the beauty of, of nature, the flowers, the bunnies that I make fun of because they're bunnies and flowers, but they're amazing and they're glorious. 
We've got so much. We, we could be busy doing this. Come and hear, all you who fear God, and I'll tell you what he's done for me. Now, not only what has he done in the world around you, what has he done for you? When you speak of your salvation as called out of darkness into his marvelous light, have you described that? I cried aloud to him, and he was extolled with my tongue. When I stepped towards this task of saying, Evan, or whatever your name is, am I recognizing and speaking of what the Lord has done in me and in the world? Do I, real, do I know how much that protects my walk? How much that puts me in right standing? But I also know, he says next, if I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Can't walk up to this, can't say, that's a really good idea, Mr. Wilson. I am unfamiliar with your religion, but it sounds like if I have honor and thanks for the, the supreme being about all that he has done, he, and the supreme being is saying to you, uh, don't bother coming any closer. Because I'm not just a powerful God, I'm a terrible God. I'm not just a powerful God who made the universe and all that is in it, but you rat bastards spoiled it. And everything you do in service to yourself in sin is spoiling my creation even more. I'm trying to do something here and you're getting in the way. Don't come to me if you cherish your iniquity. I won't listen. You've got to go to the Lord and say, Lord, here's the basket of my sins. I need to be forgiven for my sins. That's the wonderful thing about the Lord's creation. Not only did that, that Jesus Christ in Colossians 1 make everything, but he also made the mercy that forgives those sins. But we as the Christians, we've, we've encountered that under whatever preaching of it it was, the gospel. But truly God has listened. He has given heed to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God, because he has not rejected my prayer or removed his steadfast love from me. Now we want to, it tells you to come and see, come and hear. If you're not reacting, you say, oh, I don't, I, but you need to tell me what to do. No, you need to look at this longer. You don't get to skate out of, oh yeah, it sounds good, Pastor. Just tell me what I need to do next to be ready for church next Sunday. No, think about it longer. Meditate on these things. Go stand on the golf course at the university. Step out into the storm. Think about what God has done. Consider what God thinks of you. Do what comes naturally when you realize it. I don't have to tell you what to do. You'll do what's right. You'll keep your vows. You'll be able to promise honestly your life to this God. You'll be able to start to see all the good things, even if you're not a Christian, what God has done for you. Now, the reason I have Luke 19 stuck at the bottom here, it came to mind as I was prepping. As he was now drawing near at the descent of the Mount of Olives, this is the triumphal entry, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, 
Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the multitude said, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. This is getting a little out of hand. It's a little charismatic here. A little too... David dancing before the ark of the Lord in his skivvies. We don't want that kind of extreme talk. And he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And sometimes you wonder if the believers are dumber than a rock. We don't, we, stones don't normally talk, okay? Maybe the Lord was being poetic in what he, referring to kind of a, this is how you need to understand it, that this is a great moment. The Messiah had come into his temple. After centuries of being promised, the God of gods had become man and was come into his temple riding a donkey. You bet the, the universe would cry out if people couldn't or wouldn't. There's a degree of it can't be helped. This is sort of my notion of that fig tree the Lord cursed. When it didn't bear figs, when it wasn't the season for figs. You have a problem with that one? It should have known that it's God who made it wanted a fig. Okay? I don't, I'm not a materialist about fig trees or much else. It should have known. This bit about it's not the season. It's God in his universe. Put out a fig. Because if they would not have said anything, the stones would start singing praise to Jesus Christ. At least that's what Christ suggests. And when they, he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it. As a, just a the juxtaposition. Okay? His incredible praise. He claims that the very nature of inanimate things would become animate and thoughtful and vocal. And then he sees the city and he weeps, saying, Would that even today you knew the things that make for peace. But now they are hid from your eyes, for the day shall come upon you when your enemies will cast up a bank about you and surround you and hem you in on every side and dash you to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you. Because you did not know the time of your visitation. That's what I'm encouraging you this morning. Not to give you any list of religious deeds to do or promises to make, but to look at your world and look at your God and look at the claims that you might make in an apologetic way. Have you made them in a thanksgiving and an honorific way? Have you seen God who he is? And have you, is your life starting to buckle at the knees? To say, I'm ready to bow down. You are Lord of Lords. King of Kings. God of Gods. And the time of our visitation. Every morning you get up and roll out and stand there with your cup of coffee. Because I drink coffee. 
and dwell in the universe that God lets you live in, you're either going to do the right thing or God's going to look at you like Christ did and weep over you because you did not know the day of your visitation. Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we are very grateful that you came to earth, that you made the earth, and all that is in it. Lord, let us walk through this scene as if it is your scene made. Let us know who we are here to honor, and it is not we ourselves. Keep us from our own exaltation. Be ready to help us answer the things that curse us as well as bless us. Have us give us the right degree of fear, the right honor about our promises. In your son's name, amen.